0: This message comes to you from City Bible Church in Portland, where we are committed to living like Jesus and sharing His love. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. We started a series last weekend. Uh, Pastor Frank brought an amazing word, and our whole series is called Alive. And we're talking about, really, how each one of us are intended to live our life in Christ, that we're to be alive in Christ. And we're looking at the book of Ephesians, and there's one chapter in this book, it's the second chapter of the book of Ephesians, where we talk about this idea about being alive in Christ and what that really means. And Paul himself, again, he's he's a master communicator, master writer, and he shares some thoughts in this book that really are the core to our existence. They're more than just some belief systems. They're actually thoughts and ideas straight from God to us about how we're supposed to live our life. And Paul himself, he wrote about 14 books in the New Testament. I would have to say that this particular book is the the Maserati of all of the epistles. I mean, it's like his masterpiece. It's his Van Gogh. It's his Rembrandt. It's it's like this amazing book where every single word has some precious uh, nugget or morsel that Paul's trying to help us find. And he writes it very carefully, and there's all of these thoughts that he's sharing. He's wanting to help us understand that there's something available to us, to every single one of us that are in this room, and he desires us to live those out. Not just believe them, but have them, ingest them, put them into our life, and live them out in an amazing way. And you know, a couple weeks ago, we had the uh, privilege of celebrating Easter. We had our, our record attendance on all the campuses. But one of the things that we do as a family um, over the last 30 plus years is we do a thing called an Easter egg hunt. We did it here also on our campuses. But, but when we get home, we, we've tried this thing called an Easter egg hunt that, where we go out and put eggs out all over the yard and we hide them in the trees and under different things. And for the little kids, we put them all over the lawn. I mean, there's just hundreds of them. And so once the kids are, are asked to go out and to run around the field, mom and dad are running around with the little kids with the little basket, right? And the lawn is just filled with them. And here are these little two-year-old kids are kind of running around going, Ooh, right? And you're just going, no, no, right there. And they're just going to go, oh, it's awesome. And put a little egg in there and they run around and go, oh, and there's another one. And we're so excited trying to help our kids find these eggs to put them in the basket. How many of your parents and understand what I'm talking about? Some of you look confused. You don't have kids yet. you will do that same dumb thing yourself. And so at any rate, this is what Paul's doing. He's putting this low-hanging fruit. He's putting these God thoughts, these revelational uh, just insights direct from the throne of God for us to be able to pick up and experience that ultimately, if we understand them and we embrace them, it'll transform our lives. And we will truly, as our series is entitled, we will live life alive. And the whole theme, as you look at the book of Ephesians, there's there's this one thought that goes throughout the book. It talks about us being in Christ and Christ being in us. Dozens of times it talks about this idea about we being in Christ and Christ being in us. And so when we think of alive, and here's kind of the big idea for the whole series is this, is that your life is meant to be lived from a living center, your heart, your core. Every single one of us, we're kind of born with this hole in our lives, this this empty home, if you will, our hearts. And God created us that way because he wanted us to go beyond ourselves to find other things, him mainly, to come and to fill our home, our heart, with godly thoughts. Unfortunately, what happens is we go out, again, as Eddie Murphy would say, we'll nub in all the wrong places. We go out and we try to find different things to fill our heart and to fill our, our core, our center, which then in result turns us to a place where we begin to now live a life of discouragement or shame or guilt. It's because we put the wrong things in our home, in our center, in our heart, in our core. And so this whole book is trying to help us understand that when we put Christ, as the center of our life. He's not just some external force. He's not some God of the universe. He wants to come and live in your home. He wants to live in your heart. He wants to be your Lord. He wants to be your Savior. He wants to live in you. He doesn't want you just to know about him. He wants to live inside of you, in your heart and your core. And this whole series, this whole book is about this one thought. When we can do that, when Christ comes and lives inside of us, we begin to burst with richness. There's something that happens when you get around someone that understands this revelation. They're just, they're, they're alive and they're, they're a light to the world. They're filled with vibrancy and peace and joy and excitement and faith and hope. And you're going, man, what's up with you? The reality is, is that they have found the secret to life that they have actually not made Jesus or Christianity a religion, but an intimate personal relationship where he dwells in their heart or in their home. And so we're looking at the book of Ephesians chapter 2. And last week, Pastor Frank started with the first three verses of that chapter. A very difficult way to start a series in that Paul starts by talking about all of the ugliness of your life. When you read those first three chapters, really what Paul's trying to do, he's trying to make you feel bad so that he can make you feel good. He begins to share with us thoughts about your depravity and your lastness. He talks about your whole life being under the dominion of the devil. He talked all about us being Influenced or controlled by evil forces or alien powers. We've been sabotaged by Satan. We're separated from God. We're desperate. We're doomed for hell. I mean, it's not a great way to preach an encouraging message on Sunday morning, but Paul's doing this for a reason. He's sharing these thoughts with us because he wants you and me to see the reality of our condition without Christ. Because if you don't understand the problem, the solution means very little to you. You can walk up with someone and say, hey, Jesus loves you, or hey, you need Jesus. They go, ah, oh, thanks, no problem, I don't need him. That's good for you, not for me. Jesus is for weak people. They don't understand the problem. Therefore, the solution means very little to them. And so when they think about Jesus and coming and dying and living inside of us and all those different things, it means very little because they don't have a relationship with him and then therefore they don't understand who they ultimately are without him. I don't know about you, when I listened to the message last weekend, man, I just recognized once again just how dark and sinful I was and who I would be if Christ wasn't in my life. The the more that Pastor Frank talked, the more I realized, go, man, I I didn't think I was that bad, and I kept feeling, I'm going, man, I'm I'm a bad, man, I'm, oh, man, I just, I never thought I was that bad. Now, someone like Walter or Jason on 217, now, they would probably feel this. I didn't feel that until, you know, right now, I'm just going, man, this makes me feel bad or harder. The reason why Paul was doing that is so that we would grasp the importance and the value of living our life with Jesus at the center. Because without him, listen, you can do nothing. And that's the whole point that Paul was trying to get us to see. This morning, I want to look at the next two verses. And again, this series, we're taking an expositional approach to this chapter, meaning that we're teaching verse by verse, which is very appropriate for this book because there are so many priceless, rich nuggets that we better get and not breeze over. And so if you have your Bibles this morning, if you would open up to Ephesians chapter 2, We're going to read verses 4 and 5, and they'll be on the screen here. I want to look at a couple different translations this morning. Paul has just set us up. Verses 1 through 3, he wants you purposefully to feel real bad. You're hopeless. You're desperate. You're separated from God. And then he comes and he begins to bring some hope. It's a turning point in the chapter. And verse 4, he says, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. By grace, you have been saved. He begins to unpack these these incredible insights that hopefully you see your place of utter despair, utter depravity, and he begins to communicate these things that you begin to reach out for and cry. I mean, you, you finally get it, and you're, you're calling out saying, God, I need that. God help you. You want those in your life. That's what he's trying to set us up for. Another translation says it this way in, in the, the Message Bible. It says, instead... Immense in mercy and with an incredible love, he embraced us. Someone say amen. Come on. He took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. He did all this on his own with no help from us. You can nudge your neighbor and say, hey, you didn't have anything to do with it. Listen, That may be a funny statement, but listen, the longer that you serve Christ, the easier it is to think that you actually have something to do with it. You don't have anything to do with where you're at now. Christ is your all in all. And as we look at this word, I want to unpack these two verses again, just just word by word. And I want us to just hone in on some of the things that Paul was trying to communicate to us in the place of our depravity. And in verse four, he starts with the two words, but God. These are kind of two words that represent divine reversal. He's trying to help us understand where we were at. And again, we're just kind of clinging on to life. We're trying to find some hope. And he says, but God, yeah, you were lost. But God came. When you think of your life and you look at where you're at and you look at the mistakes you've made, you look at the situation that you're in, you look at some of your struggles or your addictions or your challenges, regardless of where you were or where you're at, there is a but God for you this morning. That although you were here, but God showed up to turn everything around in your life. But God. And Paul is sitting on the edge of his seat. I mean, he's, he's masterfully penned these, these words about darkness. He can't wait to get them. It's like he's got the secret and finally just says, but God, let me get this, but God, he's gonna show up for you. He's gonna do something great in your life. Just a couple of weeks ago, my... Granddaughter Brinley, and I don't know, I always tell Brinley stories, probably because she's the youngest and cutest of all the grandkids, but she came up to me. She goes, Hey, Papa, Papa, guess. Okay, uh, you're too sluice. No, 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 no. Guess, 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 guess. I can't tell you. It's a secret, but guess. I said, Okay, um, let's see. You learned how to ride a bike. Yeah, yeah, but no, 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 no. Just guess, guess, guess. Uh, we're going somewhere, but I can't tell you where we're going, but just guess. And she's just she's just full of this excitement about this idea that she's gonna go somewhere, but she hasn't been able to just get it out. She's just filled with anticipation. She goes, Well, we're going somewhere. I'm not supposed to tell you the Monday. We're going to Diz, 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 Disney, 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 but I'm not supposed to tell you, but gas. I said, You're going to Disneyland or Disney World. She goes, Yeah, yes, but I didn't tell you, right? And so, and and here is, This is kind of what Paul's doing right here. He's saying, guess, regardless of where you're at, you're feeling hopeless, you're feeling insecure, your life is broken, it's falling apart, and he's saying, but guess, here it is, but God, but God, but God, but God, but God for you. That's what he's saying right here. Let's not just breeze over these few words as if they don't mean something. He's saying, despite you, come on, listen to me. This is speaking to someone. Despite you, God's gonna do something amazing through you and in you. And so he sets up these next couple verses. Verse four, as he goes on, he says, but God, who is rich in mercy. Now, keep in mind, over here, he's, He's already made us feel real bad. Our lives are messed up. We're desperate for him. We live this dark, hopeless life. He has this transitionary phase, but God, and now he begins to unpack all the things that we desperately need in our lives. He says, but God who is rich in mercy, he begins to talk about this amazing attribute of God that when you truly understand it, you'll ask this question like I do often. God, why me? God, you would die for for me? You would continually, every day in every situation, forgive me? Can, Can we just be real honest? Come on. Every single one of us in here, it's Man, life's tough. We think bad thoughts. How many think bad thoughts? Come on, little little truth thing. If you don't have your hand up, that means you got a spirit of lying too. So how many have a spirit of lying? Come on, you, you have bad thoughts. I have bad thoughts. I have struggling thoughts. I have frustrating thoughts. There's sometimes I have a worse day than another day. Sometimes I get mad on someone driving on the street. Sometimes I get mad at someone around me. And it's just, you you get through your day and you just go, man, that wasn't an A day. That was a C day or that was a D day. And you feel bad. Why me? God, why would you extend your mercy to me? After all that I've done. Like every day, God, I get so tired of saying, I'm sorry. God, I get so tired of just saying, please help me. It's just like, what's the use? I'm never gonna change. It's in this context that Paul's writing this. And he uses these two words here that are just very profound, and you've gotta get this. He uses the word rich, and it's a Greek word that actually means wealthy, abounding, abundantly supplied, Another translation uses the word in this way, full blast, meaning without limit. When he's talking about the word mercy, it's undeserved kindness towards sinners, meaning that you're not going to get what you do deserve. And so you back up and you look at this word rich, and it's kind of like, It's not like a trickle of mercy. Like, you know, listen, you've just been a bad little sinner for so long, you're just kind of blowing it, so you're just going to get a little bit of mercy today. (laughs) Just bad, bad, bad. It's like every time, every day, every moment, it's like full blast, unlimited. God, I blew it. (laughs) He turns the faucet full on. I mean, it's just every time. That's what this word means. Oh, you know, Mark, that sounds too good to be true. It is, but it still is. You know, I, I remember working at this job site in, in Placerville, California. I was in construction and um, kind of expose a little bit of my humanity here. The cool thing about this job site was they didn't put a water meter on the job site yet. Meaning that when you turned the hose on, I mean, it was like five trillion pounds of pressure. I mean, it would just, it would take the hair off the top of your head. I mean, it was just, there's a lot of pressure. And we used to love when people would pull up to the site, some of the construction workers or sub would come in, they're looking for water and stuff. We'd say, hey, here's a hose. And they'd put their hose up. And we'd just go... I mean, just like blow a hole out the side of their cheek, you know. And I was thinking about that job site. I was thinking about that, that job. I mean, I was just going, that's kind of what this word means. It's like when you just even get it close to your lips, I mean, it will just blow a hole through the back of your throat. It is unlimited Holy Spirit impartation of mercy in your life, no matter what you've done, no matter where you're at, no matter how long you have blown it, it's every day, every moment, full blast for your life, bam, mercy, undeserved kindness for you. Man, that excites me. Here's what Paul's trying to communicate, and I put it on a slide so that that you'll just kind of digest this for your life. Some of you here today really need to hear this for you. This is what Paul's saying. God's unlimited, continual kindness towards you in every situation is beyond your wildest imagination. You can't even comprehend it. You spend your whole life beating yourself up. Well, I can never measure up, and I'm average, and I'm significant, thinking God's mad at you. No, the big word that he's trying to let you know is that I'm not going to give you what you deserve. Whatever it is, you go, but God, I deserve it. He says, I know you do, but my rich mercy towards you says, You're not going to get what you deserve because that's who I am. Wow. Listen, here's a couple of scriptures for you. One, it comes out of the book of Micah, and he's a prophet, minor prophet in the Old Testament. And he says this, chapter 7, verse 18. He's kind of caught up in this whole mercy thought, and the Holy Spirit is speaking to him as he begins to pen these words. And he says, Where is the God who can compare with you? Wiping the slate clean of guilt, turning a blind eye, a deaf ear to the past sins of your purged and precious people? You don't nurse anger. And don't stay angry long. And listen to this right here. It says this. For mercy is your specialty. Think of that. One of the core attributes of him. He's saying this to you today. My specialty? Unlimited mercy for you. You won't get What you deserve from me. What you're gonna get? Undeserved kindness. Here's another scripture Lamentations 3 22 and 23 says this The faithful love of the Lord never ends, it never stops. Regardless of where you're at, it never ends. It never stops. It says his mercies never cease. They're ever present. They're right now. When you're thinking about him, when you're not thinking about him. When you're doing good, when you're not doing good. When you're having bad thoughts. When you are willfully defying the will of God for your life. It's saying that his mercy in that moment still never ceases. That doesn't mean that there's not consequences. That doesn't mean that it doesn't break his heart. But what Paul's saying is, this mercy in which I talk about is unlimited for you at all times, regardless of you. How many here this morning, 217 online, would say, This is a new thought for me, and I desperately need His mercy right now in my life. Let me see a show of hands. Come on, just be honest. Thank you. There's hands all over the place, I'm sure, at 217. I want you to bow your heads, and I'm going to pray before we go any further. I don't want to lose this thought. Come on, whoever you are, just close your eyes and let me pray. Lord, we thank you that you're here. You're speaking to your people. Lord, there are people here this morning that have bound by the lies of the enemy. They have lived a life of shame or guilt or doubt or insecurity, depression, anxiety, stress, whatever it might be. Lord, because they've grappled with this idea, God, that they got something coming from you. Father, that they don't necessarily have coming. God, I pray right now Lord, in this atmosphere, with this word, you would come and touch the hearts of your people. Lord, you'd let them know that mercy is your specialty. It never ceases. It never ends. It's for them right now. It's for them in a moment, in a minute, in a day, in a month, in a year. No matter whatever they're going through, God, today, you would bring that fresh revelation. Open their eyes that they may see this truth. Lord, that it would drop right into the center of their core. Father, they truly would come alive in you. If you agree with that prayer, come on, give Jesus a hand. Come on. Amen. Rich in mercy. You know, when you, when you think about that for a second, the logical question that you ask yourself is, well, Why? God, why would you give that to me? Why would you extend that? I mean, I I don't get that part. I know for sure that it's not because he feels like an obligation to give it to you. Ah, okay, well, you know, I'm God, so I gotta do that. He doesn't think that way. Paul begins to unpack this even deeper, and he gives us the reason behind the dispensing of this mercy, and he says this, because... Because of his great love with which he loved us. It says the reason why I give you undeserved kindness is because of my unconditional love for you. Another thing that we struggle with all the time. Does God really love me? Does he really see me? Does he really care for me? Does he really understand me? Will he really help me? Paul is saying, yes, because of his Great love. And it's important to understand that the motive behind the giving of a gift represents the level of love towards the recipient. The more that you love someone, the more that you give them incredible gifts just out of your love for them. When you look at this rich mercy, and you look at what God's doing. The measure of this gift is a mere reflection on the level of love that he has for you. It's not a trickle. It's it's full blast. It's immeasurable. And when you look at this word love, actually, and the word great together, it begins to paint, again, another incredible picture for us. When you look at the word great it's actually a word in the Greek that was never intended to be used in the natural realm. It was it was reserved for times when you would talk about his majesty. It was a a royal word, it was a kingdom word. You would never use it out of context. You know, and the English language, unfortunately, really does a disservice to this word great. I could say, hey, Dylan, man, great hairdo. Not. But I mean, you could say, great hairdo, or you could say, hey, great shoes, or great shirt, or great message, or Jeremy, great worship. Walter, great campus. I mean, wherever you use this word great, God would it's it's kind of like this idea, don't use that word there because it's actually devaluing what the Greek word really meant. It was like it was saved for these special moments to magnify something about God. Great. And it meant abundantly, rich, strong, immeasurable. And so when you look at that in context with this word love, Love comes from a Greek word, agape, which is unconditional love towards someone else regardless of what you get back in return. It's unconditional. The Bible says in Romans that God loved you, agape, you, even while you were still yet a sinner. Meaning when you didn't even want him, he loved you unconditionally. When you were too busy doing your own thing, he still says, I still love you. And it takes it one step further and helps us to understand it's not just that I love you unconditionally, but it means that even if you never respond to me, I will even die for you. I will give everything for you. I will, I will um, sacrifice my best, my all for the sake of you, simply to show you how much I love you. We see that word show up in John three sixteen. For God so loved, agape, the world, so loved you that he gave his best. He gave his all. He gave his son. Christ came. He died. He said, this is how much I love you. Unconditional. I gave my best. I gave my all. I didn't send a fall guy. I didn't send an angel. I came myself in the form of man. Agape. Come on, there's some of you here today, you've, you've struggled with this thought, does, does God love me? He says, this much, this much, I could just see him being nailed to the cross as his hands went out, just so I could see it, he probably stretched his hand out as far as he could to nail it and reaching over to just say, I love you this much, look, I'm dying for you, you're questioning whether I love, I gave everything despite you, I love you. And Paul uses this unconditional love with this a majestic term of great, and he says, it's this divine love. As it says in Romans, nothing can separate you from God's love. Nothing can separate you from his love. And Paul, this, this, these verses, what he's trying to do, he's trying to get them in us. We talked about being alive, that we should have something in our living center. This isn't just truth. It's Christ himself and everything that he represents, mercy and love, and just going, oh. Just putting this truth, this revelation, Christ himself in you. This this is what these two words together actually mean. I got another slide for you to just get this. This is what Paul's saying, if we can put it in our English vernacular today. The love of God for us is so great towards us that it defies all definition. You, You can't even define it. You can't even feel it. You can't even, I don't care how smart you are, I don't care how... Eloquent of a journalist you are, you can't even find the words that would describe what this great love is for you. That's what Paul, and again, it's it's why he's just so full and excited about writing these words. It's just kind of like the Easter eggs. It's like there it is, there it is. You got to get it. Don't live in sorrow. Don't live in regret. Don't live in shame. Don't live that way. Here's another egg. Here's another egg. Here's another truth. Here's another truth. You're gonna go, oh yeah, right. I don't know about you, but I'm getting excited about this word. Listen, listen to what, what it says in Deuteronomy 7, 6. It says, God chose you out of all the people on the earth for himself as a cherished personal treasure. Digest that one. Out of all the people, he says, I chose you. Josh Polvo, he chose you. Out of all the people on the earth, personal, cherished treasure. I could go around the room, TC. I could go around the room, Kirsten. Personalize it, please. God loves me. It's like the little song we used to sing. Jesus loves me, this I know. Why couldn't we just continue to live life that simple? For the Bible tells me, oh, wow, rich in mercy, great in love. It, it's it's almost like we get there and we we finally begin to feel like, oh man, I feel good. This man, this helps me. And then you you kind of snap out and you go, well, wait a minute, that, that 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 that's too good to be true. It doesn't apply to me because. He, you don't know my life, you don't know my sin, you don't know my background, you don't know my problems, you don't know my mistakes, you don't know what I went through and what happened in my marriage and what I did and what they did and what, it's, right? So it's even in the midst of these these beautiful truths, Paul comes back to a thought that was like in the previous verses and he says, even when you were dead in trespasses, he knew you would begin to even question that. So he says, even... For every one of you that doubt whether this is for you, Paul put this here, he says, even when you went through what you went through, it still applies. Yeah, but Mark, I just got out of prison and I've been in prison for 30 years for murder. Even then, he forgives you, loves you, gives you a fresh slate, makes you a new person. It does not matter what you put in the blank. Even when you are in that situation, he's saying, it still applies to you. That's what Paul's saying. And he's trying to help us understand something, and again, we can't get this. Regardless of your response or lack of it, God puts these things out to you. And here's the the central part of this thought, and I I just want, again, we're almost done here, but just stick with me for another minute or two. Here's the, the central thought to this chapter, to the book of Ephesians, to the Bible, to our existence. I mean, it can really be summed up in these five or six words. It says that he made us alive together in Christ. Paul's saying, listen, you were dead. You were separated from God. You were hopeless. I mean, you were lost. And he begins to just explain all of these attributes. And he said he did that to make you alive, alive forevermore. You don't have to live a life of shame and guilt. You don't have to live a life of sorrow and regret and all of those things. He says, he's made you alive. The same thing that happened to Christ, this word alive actually means that he's raised you from the dead. Just as Christ was a dead and and he rose again and is alive forevermore, he says, that same word that applies for Christ applies to you. You were dead, I come and live inside of you. You are now alive. Forevermore. <laughs> alive. That's what this series is about. Alive. The world has nothing to offer you. We think it's this relationship or this drug or this partying or whatever it might be. We're going out trying to find satisfaction in Jesus is saying, No, your center should be filled with me. When you put these truths in me, you'll live alive. No, no. Everything else will be strangely dim. Why? <sighs> Paul Paul said this later on in Galatians. He says, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. Jesus wants you to die so that you can live. In fact, he says, in one of the gospels, he says, unless the wheat falls to the ground and dies, it's dead being alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. When we finally recognize that Jesus is the only thing that should be in our heart, it's only then that we begin to experience true abundant life. And he finishes off this whole portion of Scripture we're looking at this morning, verse five, by saying, and by grace, you've been saved, which we'll pick this up next week and talk about it in detail. But he's, he's trying to say that everything that I've talked about so far in these two verses are really given to you as Free. It's the unmerited favor of God. That's what grace is saying. Everything here is free. You can't earn it. It's a gift. It's not a paycheck. It's not something you do. He's saying everything here is free. Every person, it's just free. I'm giving it to you because of the grace of God upon you. And if you look at these three thoughts, as we've talked about mercy and grace and then love, we look at these three things. I, wanna, I want you to look at this last picture just to kind of get a visual of what Paul's trying to do. And he's trying to give you kind of this sandwich, if you will, not a little skimpy sandwich from some little skimpy sandwich place. He wants to give you like a a cat's deli sandwich. How many have been to New York City before? I mean, how many have ever gone to cat's deli? I mean, if you haven't been there, you're just, you're barely saved. I mean, it's just, I mean, you buy the meat for your sandwiches by the pound. And every time we go there, I mean, you need a wheelchair. You leave feeling like a boa constrictor. I mean, it's just kind of like, Burr, let's go home and lay down for about six hours. So it just... Passes, you know, it's just like, oh. And these sandwiches are are monstrous. Paul's doing that right here. He says, I've given you like a, man, this big sandwich (sighs) for you to digest. Mercy is yours, free, it's undeserved kindness. We talked about that. You're not getting what you do deserve. Grace is unmerited favor. You're getting what you don't deserve. Sandwich in between is this unconditional acceptance, love. Despite you, regardless of you, the sandwich is yours for the taking. If I could have the bands to the platform, both campuses. And as we close today, I want to share just a quote by a man named John Newton. John Newton was a notorious slave trader. And when you read his journal and his stories, we find that he was a very vile, dark man that did a lot of very dark, evil things to people. There was a point in his journey where he came to this realization that we're talking about today, about Christ, to forgive him. He thought his whole life it was hopeless, living for himself. He actually is the man that wrote the song, Amazing Grace. And we sing that song everywhere, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch. Like me. Later on, as he was looking at these scriptures that we're talking about today, he wrote a little quote or a little statement in his journal after reading through these two verses. And basically, this is what he said. He's just read through that rich in mercy, great love. By grace, I've been saved. I didn't have anything to do with it. It's always there for me. And it was in that moment, he wrote down and he says, there's three amazing wonders that I'll find when I get to heaven. He says, the first wonder, I'll look into heaven and I'll find a lot of people there that I didn't think were going to be there. He says, the second wonder is I'm going to look out there and I'm going to not see a lot of people that I thought would be there. And then he penned these last few thoughts. He says, the thirdest, excuse me, the thirdest, that's the Greek word for third. The third and greatest wonder of all, he says is this, is that I'll be there. And that messes me up. The greatest, he's sitting there, he's just go, I got it, but God, even though, he says, the greatest wonder is, I'll be there. John Newton finally got to the place where he could begin to live his life alive recognizing his utter despair and knowing that God, despite him, would come and make him new. Do you ever, do you ever think about that for yourself? One of the greatest things, God, is I'm gonna be there? It's such a healthy place to be because it shows me Your utter dependence in Him.